So we're in a, a series at the moment. Uh, we're in week six. It's called Give Your Head Peace. And uh, it's all about uh, how do we move into places of, uh, of deeper peace with the Lord, of a more peaceful mind, of better mental health, uh, that then has all sorts of ramifications in terms of our physical, emotional, relational, psychological well-being, the entirety of our well-being. So uh, if, if you're just coming along for the first time today or visiting with us, uh, you're, uh, you're particularly welcome as we just continue to look at the areas of solitude and silence that God invites us into in order to, to bless us. Years ago, I, there was a conference up in Armagh about global mission, and I had some friends from the States who were church leaders who were going to it, and I sort of thought I should go uh, to see them and, to, and also to take in some of the seminars up at a hotel in the middle of Armagh. The trouble was I, I felt really, really busy, and I just didn't feel I could spare the time, and there were some challenges that needed to be addressed, and uh, I just didn't feel I could afford to take a day out of Bangor and to go to this conference in Armagh. But at the end of the day, after wrestling about it for a while, I went up to the conference in Armagh, and I had a lot of time on the journey to pray and to, as often away in getting out of your own familiar environment. Uh, it's good to go somewhere unfamiliar, and on that car journey, I had lots of time to just uh, tell the Lord all the problems that were in the world and in my world. Uh, wonderful time for me anyway. I don't know whether the Lord enjoyed it all, but uh, getting it all off my chest. And I remember walking into the conference, and there was, as often conferences have, plenty of coffee and buns and stuff. Came in, and uh, I saw one of my friends across the way, and I just went across to him and started to have a conversation. It was probably a conversation of, I don't know, three or four minutes. And uh, he asked me, he made the fatal mistake of asking me how I was, and so I just told him about the frustrations I had and some of the challenges I was facing and the, and the busyness of my life. And um, he just said a few words to me, uh, just a couple of, couple of sentences, and there were particularly about six words he said. He looked me in the eye, he spoke about six words to me, and... At the end of that, it was like people were called to their seminar rooms, and off he went, and everyone was filing into these seminar rooms, and uh, I, I, just, I just sensed that what this guy had said to me was exactly what God wanted to say to me. And I can still remember today, years on, the six words that he said to me. I know you want to know what they are, but I'm not going to tell you. Because there were specific words to me that I needed to hear. And uh, as everyone went back in their rooms for coffee, no, for their, not back in their rooms for a seminar at that stage, I, I just sensed the Lord, in the, not in an audible voice, but in that sort of sense of what is right, saying, Nigel, go home. I thought, I've driven from Bangor to Armagh. I wrestled all day with, do I have time to do this? I've gone up. I've poured out my heart to the Lord in the car, and probably by the time I've come to that, I'm now ready to hear what the Lord has to say to me. And uh, I go in, speak to this guy. He speaks six words, disappears off into a seminar room, and I, the Lord says to me, that's, that's all you have to hear. 
That's all I have for you. Now go home. And I can honestly say as I drove home, I had this growing sense of hope, a growing energy, and also clarity emerging on the way home in the car as to what I was meant to do. And I think it's a, it's a, a bit of an echo of what our reading was about today from the prophet Elijah, who the, back, the background to the, what we had today that Callum read for us is that uh, Elijah was a prophet. A prophet is someone who uh, senses, or senses what God is saying to them and then speaks that out. No matter what the risk, no matter what the cost, the prophet speaks it out. Never easy being a prophet, because generally, quite often, what you have to say is difficult to hear. Uh, that's, that's the life of a prophet. And so Elijah had that life, and he, as prophets often do, he, he found himself in a very solitary position, because he'd obeyed what the Lord had called him to do, and also because he had, he had run away from the place that the Lord wanted him to engage in. So the background was in 1 Kings chapter 8, in the chapter before the one we had read today, Elijah is called by the Lord to, to call one almighty religious contest, where he says, uh, bring the 450 prophets of the false god Baal, B-A-L-L, uh, bring the false god Baal's prophets, 450 of them, and bring them to a place where we're going to have a showdown. And the showdown is going to involve an altar and a sacrifice, and we're going to let the prophets of Baal go first, and we're going to see if they call out to their God, if God's going to send down fire on the altar. And then when they've had their go, Elijah says, I'll have my go. And so from the morning until the evening, the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, they, they start to dance and they start to pray and cry out to God. And as was their custom, they cut themselves until they bled to so, show how God, their God how serious they were. And at the end of the day, I'm sure they're absolutely exhausted and nothing has happened. And Elijah starts to crack jokes at their expense and basically says, is your God asleep? Does he not hear you? Where, where's your God? And then he says, now let's see what the real God does. And he builds an altar. He puts a sacrifice on. He steps forward, says a simple prayer, and bang. Fire comes down and consumes not only the sacrifice, but actually the entire apparatus of the altar itself. And Elijah turns around and says to all the people who have gathered, slaughter the 450 prophets of Baal, and they're put to death with a sword. Now, the king Ahab had a wife called Jezebel of the, of the famous name Jezebel. And she was a, a follower, a, wor- a worshiper of Baal, the fertil- fertility god. And when she heard what had happened, she was absolutely furious. And she said, basically, Elijah, you're a dead man walking. By this time tomorrow, your life's going to be over. And so Elijah Having heard this, he then flees and just runs for his life. And that's where our reading from this morning started. And so he's out in the middle of the wilderness. He has a servant with him. He tells the servant to stay put where he is. And he, Elijah, goes out. And as we've read over these last couple of months, he seeks a place of solitude and silence. 
And he comes out and he says to God, and you may have sometime or other said this to God as well, I have had enough. I've had it up to here. Take my life. I, I don't want to go on anymore. Uh, I'm, I'm just the same as all my ancestors before me. I've, I've failed. I've done my best. I've done all I can do, but actually just take my life. And then he lies down under this broom bush and he falls asleep. Now, last week we talked about the fact that quite often when we seek God in solitude and silence, one of the first things he tells us to do or allows us to do is to fall asleep. Because sometimes, if not quite often, the thing that brings us to seek God in solitude and silence is crisis in our lives. Nothing else has worked. We're at our wit's end, and so what do we think? We'll think, I know what I'll do. I'll see if God can help. I've done everything I can do. I've used all my cleverness and my energy and my contacts. I've tried and tried again. It hasn't worked, and I know what I'll do. I will try God. And so we go to God and we say, I've had enough. I've had it up to here. And one of the first things God often lets us do is say, Paul, go to sleep. Because he knows that actually we're absolutely exhausted. And one of the first things we need to do is sleep and to gain physical rest. The God who's made us body and soul knows exactly what we need. And so often what we need is sleep, is physical rest and physical restoration. So the second thing happens, Elijah gets a good sleep, and then the Bible tells us that this angelic messenger comes to him and touches him. Now, it seems a very simple thing to do, but whenever you're feeling absolutely isolated and exhausted, one of the most powerful things you can ever experience is someone who is on your side, who shows compassion to you, coming up and putting their hand on you and touching you. One of the most powerful things, and I'm sure you'll have experienced this in your life, if you feel completely isolated and broken and exhausted, one of the most powerful things that can actually happen to you is not the words people say, it's not the things people give, it's actually the fact that they will physically touch you. They might put an arm around you. They might hold your hand. There's some way they may touch you. That's a very powerful thing. And then the angelic messenger says, get up. Eat, drink, fresh baked bread. I'm sure it smelled delicious. Water. And then what happens next? Exactly the same thing happens again. Elijah falls asleep. The angelic messenger touches him. He gets up. He's encouraged to eat the bread and drink the water. So exhausted is Elijah that the Lord encourages him to sleep and to eat and drink and to receive some sense of the fact that he's not alone by sending an angel on a practical mercy mission to reach out and touch him. And then when all that's happened, then the Lord has a question for Elijah. He's finally ready to hear what the Lord has to say. Just like me traveling to Armagh, I had to go all the way, drive all the way, get rid of all my frustration, everything else, get out of Bangor for a while, come to the place, into the conference room, Little did I know I was about to hear God speak to me six little words that would just, boom, change everything. And the Lord says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, it's interesting what the Lord doesn't ask Elijah. 
or say to Elijah. He doesn't say to Elijah, Elijah, you just sit there because I'm going to sort absolutely everything out for you. Now, sometimes God does say that and says, just sit where you are, be still, I'll sort it all out. But in this instance, he doesn't say that. But what the Lord also doesn't say to Elijah is, Elijah, get a grip and, and get off your high horse. Nor does he say to him, Elijah, what have you done? Why are you here? I I didn't tell you to run away. You should have stayed put. Instead, he, he wants Elijah to have an opportunity to get everything off his chest. And so in the midst of solitude and silence, he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And that is like the touchstone for Elijah to boom, get everything off his chest. And Elijah pours out this wonderful mixture of worship and frustration and anger and self-pity and self-righteousness. And he says, and if things of prayers often start with I am or I have, you know that this is going to be a prayer that's mixed with self-righteousness and self-pity. And so Elijah starts off by saying, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Just to let you know, Lord, because you didn't know that, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. And then, number two, in a prayer of frustration, quite often is, and now let me tell you who I blame for all of this, because it's not me, it's somebody else. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars. They have put your prophets to the sword. And then here comes the self-pity. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. It's a wonderful mix of of zealousness and wanting to see the Lord's name honored and self-pity and self-righteousness all mixed into one. And the Lord, whenever Elijah says to him, here are all the problems in the world, in the nation, and with me. And so often what we want God to say at that moment is, just give me the list of top 10 things you want me to sort out, and I'll have them sort out by this time tomorrow. Has anyone ever had that response from God? I know I haven't. What is so often the Lord's response? He says to Elijah, go and stand out on the mountain in the presence of the Lord because I am about to pass by. Isn't it a a strange response Whenever you're saying, Lord, here are all the problems in this nation and in my life. Here is where all my frustration and anger and everything comes from. And the Lord just says, I'm going to meet with you. You ever been to an air show where the red arrows are going to come? And uh, you know, people go, particularly if the red arrows are going to be there, and there's going to be this awesome flyby with red, white, and blue smoke. And the whole idea is, it's just a sense of, wow. How do they, how do they fly at such speed in a close formation in such an intricate aerobatic display? Aerobatic display? Or sometimes at those, you know, where governments want to flex muscles or, or celebrate nationhood, they, they'll send the, the equivalent of the red arrows overhead. And the idea is so that everyone on the ground will just look, look up and go, wow. You know, the reason why we gather together to worship, the reason why we seek the Lord in solitude and silence is ultimately because we know from experience, hopefully, 
when we meet the Lord, everything changes. As I was driving back from Armagh to Bangor all those years ago, nothing had changed in Bangor. I was going back to exactly the same circumstances, the same challenges, the same frustrations, the same workload. It was all there waiting for me in Bangor. But here's the thing, Bangor hadn't changed, but Nigel Parker had changed. And why? Because God had said, I'm going to meet with you. And again and again in the Bible, we see this happen. It's wonderful. A moment in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus says to the disciples, I want you to, to row across the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee to the other side, and off the disciples go. And he goes up into the mountains, and he's, he's walking, as it were, around the side of the lake. And uh, in the midst of the night, as the wind is whipping against them, as the waves are against them, they are straining for all their worth against this this wind that's coming against them, and I'm sure they're utterly exhausted and utterly frustrated, not least because Jesus has told them to get in the boat and to row to the other side, and the fact is he has told them to go into a situation that is going to be absolutely and utterly physically exhausting for them. And in the middle of the night, Mark tells us, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, he was about to pass them by. But when they saw him walking in the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and died, and the wind died down. How would you feel as a disciple of Jesus Christ? You're straining with all your might. You think it's a ghost, first of all. You discover later he's just walking on the water. And what is Jesus going to do? He is going to walk right on by. Why? Because the thing the disciples need to know more than anything else is the awesomeness of God. And so they cry out in a combination of fear and worship and help. And, and they cry out. And as they cry out, Jesus comes to them. And the same for Elijah. Elijah, he's told to go and stand out on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. And a number of things happen. Earthquake happens. Elijah stands there and goes, the Lord is not in this earthquake. I don't, I don't sense the presence of God. Then there's fire. Then there's a tremendous wind that rips the rocks apart. And in each case, Elijah stands there unaffected and realizes he doesn't sense the presence of the Lord in any of this. And then there comes this gentle whisper. Probably barely discernible. And suddenly I imagine the hairs on the back of Elijah's neck stand up and he realizes the Lord has come. And so in awe is he that he pulls his cloak over his face in case he sees the holy presence of God. And in the fear of the Lord, he pulls his cloak over his face so he won't see anything and he goes out and he stands in the mouth of the cave. because he knows the Lord is present. And after that, the Lord asks him the same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? 
And the amazing thing is, Elijah says exactly the same thing word for word as he said before he encountered the presence of God. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites, they have, they have torn down the altars. They have rejected the covenant. They have put the prophets to the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah said exactly the same thing. But I think he said it differently. As he stood in the presence of the Lord, he was saying the same words, but something internally was changing. And if you have been exercising this spiritual exercise and discipline over these years or over these last weeks as we've been looking at it through Scripture and what Scripture teaches us, you will know if you've got through the sleeping stage and the eating stage and all those other stages, uh, you will also know that quite often, if you're like me, then you have the same conversation with God over and over and over and over again. But every time you have that conversation with God, every time you sense the presence of the Lord, you may speak the same words, but something inside is actually changing. And finally, it comes to the moment where God senses Elijah is ready to hear something new from the Lord, even though they've rehearsed the same conversation, even though God has patiently waited for Elijah's running through the same words. Now, the Lord says to Elijah, now, here's what I want you to do. First come the, the hope, uh, then comes the energy, and then finally comes the guidance. And God says to Elijah, here's the three things I want you to do. I want you to do three anointings. Anointing was pouring oil on someone's head in order that they may enter a new phase of service in their lives. And he says to Elijah, I want you to anoint two new kings, and I want you to anoint a prophet to succeed you called Elisha. The guidance is very, very specific. When we come to the point where we're ready to hear the voice of God, when the Lord thinks we're ready, God's guidance is very clear, very prescriptive, very detailed. I've always found it has never left me in any doubt whatsoever. But he chooses the time. Now, the first two anointings would have really excited Elijah because one thing Elijah loved was fire justice. Elijah was a prophet who loved justice. Nothing would have pleased him more than the showdown with the prophets. He had this deep passion to see the one true God honored. He wanted to see the false religion, the destructive religion of the Baals. He wanted to see that destroyed. He wanted to see King Ahab, Ahaz, Ahaz, and Jezebel. He wanted to see them overturned. He wanted Baal worship out of the country. He felt very, very strongly about this. He enjoyed nothing more than seeing the fire of God's justice come down. And I think the reason why he ended up in the wilderness was because he came to the stage where he said, Lord, why don't you do to the king and queen what you did to the prophets of Baal? Why don't you just take them out with fire as well? And the Lord brings him out on the mountain in the mouth of the cave, and he says, I don't just work in fire and earthquake and violent wind. Elijah, often I work in a gentle whisper. 
Elijah met the Lord in the mouth of the cave at Mount Horeb. That's where he went after he had heard the voice of the Lord and eaten and, and drank and slept. And Mount Horeb is a, an important place in Scripture. Moses traveled through uh, the same desert as Elijah travels through. Moses met the Lord on Mount Horeb in the burning bush. Elijah met him at the mouth of the cave. As you're going out today, if you want to, look up at the window at the back, and there is a picture of Jesus Christ transfigured in all of his glory in robes of white that, that speak of the holiness and the glory of God. On his left is Moses with the Ten Commandments. On the right is Elijah with the raven on his arm who, who fed him in the midst of the ravine of Kerith. Both men traveled across a desert and met the Lord on Mount Horeb. Elijah loved to see the justice of God done. Another prophet, Micah, said in Micah 6, 8, He has shown you, mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So often we forget that when the Holy Spirit comes in our lives, one of the first things he wants to do is he wants to put everything that is the wrong way up the right way up. He wants to bring justice in society. If you are angry with something in society, then good on you. Because every follower of Jesus Christ should have at least one thing that you are furious about in today's world. And if you're not, ask God to make you furious about something in this world. Because proof pudding, put whatever that phrase is, the proof of the Holy Spirit in your life, one of the proofs is this. There are things that will make you absolutely furious. Have you ever seen that wonderful film called Amazing Grace about William Wilberforce? And the young Prime Minister, William Pitt, is speaking to him. And he tells him to go after his dream of seeing slavery abolished. And he says to William Wilberforce, it'll be you against every other MP in Parliament. It'll just be you. He says, I can't stand with you. I'm the Prime Minister. It'll just be you. And the entirety of Westminster will stand against you. But he says to William Wilberforce, and yet they will not stand a chance. Because nothing can stand against the fire of God when he comes in justice. Are you angry about certain things in this world? Let me tell you, God is much more angry than you. And on this Pentecost Sunday, we remember the fact that the disciples too were crying out to the Lord. And what did they experience in the midst of their fear, in the midst of their concern? Are the Romans going to come and get us? Jesus Christ has gone into heaven. We're by ourselves. Uh, what's going to happen? Are the, are the Roman soldiers going to knock on the door? Is it all going to come to an end? And what does the Lord do? He does a flyby. tongues of fire, sound like the blowing of a violent wind. And you and I are here today because of what happened in that upper room 2,000 years ago. 
because those men and women, about 120 of them, poured out of that room and they had fire for justice in their bellies. And they had compassion in their hearts. That's what Amelia has been baptized into today. The presence of God. Constantly seeking the presence of God. Being people who are open pursuing the Lord and when we sense his presence well we just go out to meet him whenever we recognize he's there whatever it means we move to meet him and in that place of meeting transformation happens clarity comes energy comes hope comes the situation may or may not change the Lord may change things he may not change things but certainly what he will do he will change things through the person who is transformed So this morning, I want to encourage us as we worship the Lord, as we seek the presence of the Lord, we don't just do so for a warm feeling, to have guidance, uh, to be strengthened a bit for the week ahead. We do all that. But we also invite the Lord into our lives, the Lord of raging fire and the Lord of a gentle whisper. What Elijah needed to know that day on the mountain was this. The Lord saying, Elijah, you are not alone. I am with you. In fact, there are 7,000 others in Israel who have not bowed down to Baal. They're with us too. And I want you to mentor a young man called Elisha. Why? So that your prophetic ministry will continue. And so you'll not feel so alone anymore because you will have a companion by your side. See the wonderful way the Lord responds to Elijah's cry? The Lord responds in such practical ways, and the Lord will do so with us. But the point of change, the point of transformation, the point where the, the balance tips is in the place of meeting the Lord. So this morning as we worship, I want to encourage us in our lives, as we go out and live our lives and seek solitude and silence to be with the Lord, let's really pursue the Lord because everything changes when we meet him. There'll be a prayer ministry team up the front this morning and uh, the prayer ministry team are here to confidentially offer an opportunity to pray. And one of the lovely things that people will do is they stand beside you to pray for you and to pray with you, more importantly, is that they will, if you're happy to, they will put a hand on your shoulder and they will touch you. And it's like an angelic messenger standing with you and putting a hand on your shoulder and letting you know you are not alone. The Lord knows everything. The Lord is with you. And the Lord is here to strengthen you and enthuse you and infuse you and guide you. And don't worry about all the stuff that causes deep frustration and deep tiredness and deep everything else. Just seek the face of the Lord. Because when we seek the King and His kingdom and His righteousness, everything else is added to us. Everything else gets sorted out. So we stand together.